This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music Is Not a Genre, the interview edition. Uh, Each week I discuss music, uh, I kind of give you my take on it, I connect it to things, I connect all music to other music, I break down barriers, I expose myths, and all that kind of stuff that hopefully if you've been following along, you know about. Uh, And if you haven't following along, you know that this is the second only the second in this interview edition uh and we'll talk more about that later thank you first of all for subscribing and uh clicking and sharing and uh, for being a patreon patron uh and anything else that you do to make the connection here uh, i know i appreciate it uh i hope you love being part of this family as well um with me today is a good friend of mine, Stephanie Kay. She is a fellow podcaster. Uh, she hosts the NX7062 podcast, which if you know what that is, you know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, uh, it is a Star Trek reference, uh, which makes sense because she is also a huge Trekkie and sci-fi fan. And I'm told an award-winning karaoke singer. Yes, I actually have won awards for my singing. So there you go. You I do? count that. In fact, it was at a bar right back, uh, back in our old neighborhood. So which bar? Philomena's. Oh, get out. Yeah. Yeah. I used to do karaoke there all the time. Of course, we're talking pre pandemic, pre a lot of stuff, but, uh, uh yeah, yeah. My, I, my dad played there a few times. So I know I've sung with your dad there a few times. With my dad, in fact, but that brings me to the next question, which is, why don't you tell the audience how we know each other? Oh, my God. Um, because way back in 19, <clears throat> um, my parents moved in to a house that happened to Caddy Corner, share a backyard with your house. We literally grew up together. I have known you since I was three. That's it. Yep. That's it. I'm I'm kind of juggling. I you know I say what I usually do, and this is only the second interview I've done, so I have no idea what I usually do. But my plan my plan is to sometimes give the guest an opportunity to tell how we know each other, and sometimes I'll do that. And uh, that's exactly right. We we grew up 
you know, our formative years in South, in South Jersey. Yep. Went to high school together and had, you know, some friends in common and things like that. And then choir. We choir. Connection, right? Uh, Yep. Kind of went in our different directions and everything and reconnected and been, have been great friends ever since and uh, connect in many ways. We connect not just um, with music, which of course we'll talk about, but we also connect as being sci-fi fans and Star Trek fans, uh, which is mm-hmm. kind of... And actors, you're a more established actor than I am, but we both do a little bit of acting. Yes, we do. That's true. That's true. And- you know, we did, you know, we reconnected because your mom gave me your email address back when I went to go see your dad one night, back when he was still doing shows. That's how we ended up reconnecting. Oh man, I always wondered about that. So yeah. Like, so yeah. Yeah, back in the 10 grand and a burger days. Remember that? Yes. One of your first there was a theater company that I helped uh, found. It wasn't my idea. I just was kind of on board with it from the beginning with a good friend of mine who was also my drummer in my band Wreck for many years, uh, Justin Nadal. <gasps> oh, Justin. I remember Justin. Good guy. Um, it was great theater company. Uh, we did great productions. And then that kind of, and, and, and I mean, it's great that, that that was the reason why we reconnected. And then that yep. kind of morphed and went away in its own way, or I went away, and ended up co-founding a film company shortly after that. Mm-hmm. you were uh, you know a pretty big part of for a number of years I was in fact um, on my IMDB page I've got a couple of associate producer credits for a couple of the films that we did together plus an acting credit a teeny tiny little acting credit for one of the one of the full-length features we did together so. yeah and that's a feature that's been distributed internationally and all of that and I believe to date is the last is the latest film that uh, that company has released so yeah, um, I believe the writer of that film is working on something else. If you follow her on Facebook, so. Oh, cool. Well, and and good, you know, point here. And I've asked you for this. Uh, you know, I try to set up as much as possible to kind of cross promote and all that. Yep. Any any links you want to share, uh, we'll have them underneath the the video for everybody. Okay. Um. Well, my podcast is live every Monday night, and you can find it on Facebook, on YouTube or on uh, Twitch, actually, I decided to kind of really branch out. Um, and I'm at NX7062, just about everywhere. So if you go to YouTube and just type in NX7062, you'll find it. Um, unfortunately, when you're when you're a baby YouTuber, you know, they don't give you a personalized URL. So it's just this very messy link. So I just tell people, if you want to find me on YouTube, just search. Well, and you know what? We have friends who I'm going to be interviewing in a couple of weeks, probably. They they run a band and a show. They're called Hot Glue in the Gun, and they do this Gluey Zoomy show. And one of the things they did on the show was to ask their guests to go and like their YouTube channel. Because once you get over uh, a certain number of likes, yeah. you change your URL. So anybody out there who's into Please. sci-fi, who's, who's into not just sci-fi, but awesome live discussions and awesome special guests. Uh, yes. Yes. Being a week or two ago, please go over to uh, NX7062, uh, find the YouTube channel and uh, like. Give it. me a like. Yep. Yeah. Give me a like. Um, yeah, because it's live. And if you're, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously Star Trek. Um, it's a Star Trek themed 
Um, I just told somebody the other day, I go off topic more than I stay on topic. So yes, every show has a topic, but sometimes we just all go off on tangents because I'm, I'm live chatting with whoever's there. Um, and it sort of has this lean towards my favorite Star Trek, which is Enterprise. So if I can ever bring it around to Enterprise, um, that usually happens. I can attest to that being true. And there are times where I'm amazed that you can bring it back around the enterprise. I know I'll have all the, the guests that I had, Sir Lofton from DS9. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was able to bring her on the enterprise at some point. So yeah, you did. You did. And he's from deep space nine. And I was still able to bring, yes, because somebody accused me of having a crush on, uh, on trip, AKA Connor Trenier, uh-huh. yeah. who, who knows me. So, you know, it's okay. <laughs> now you're very, you're not just, and I, people should know this, and I, it will eventually connect to music, but you're not just a podcaster. You are pretty deeply involved in things like the conventions, in mm-hmm. the community itself. You're part of a Absolute. group called the Lambda Quadrant, and among mm-hmm. all of that, you have met a lot of people in, in that culture. I have. I've met, I've interviewed, um, I've gone to Star Trek Las Vegas since uh, 2017, which is an annual thing. Got canceled this year. They tried twice to have it once in its usual time in August, and then they tried again for December, but it just wasn't safe. Uh, So the gap in my Vegas resume is due to COVID, uh, aiming for it again. And you want to bring it around to music, they have Star Trek karaoke two nights a week at the convention. So I have had the most amazing time singing. Um, for anybody out there that knows anything about Star Trek, um, Enterprise is the only show that had a theme song actually sung. And it was actually written by Diane Warren, who was a prolific songwriter. Um, she wrote, um, If I Could Turn Back Time for Cher, is one of her credits. Yes. Um, she's incredible. In fact, um, she was up for an Oscar up against Lady Gaga for um yeah yeah when they were oh my god why is the um shallow shallow won but diane warren also had a song up against and i thought if shallow doesn't win which we all know it's going to yeah yeah but if shallow doesn't win i would love to see diane win just because um she's an amazing songwriter and she wrote this song called at first was called faith of the heart and rod stewart sang it over the end credits of patch adams and I did not know that until after I kind of got back into Enterprise back in 2016. And um, I loved the song so much. And I started looking into it and seeing if there was a karaoke version. And I found out it was called Faith of the Heart. Rod Stewart sang it. But then when they decided they wanted it for Enterprise, they changed the title to Where My Heart Will Take Me. And they gave it to a British singer named Russell Watson, who does A, a better version, because I honestly don't like Rod Stewart. And, and, um, and they used an abbreviated version for the theme. And then I learned the full length version and I have sung it in Vegas twice with, um, Dominic Keating, who happens to be Lieutenant Malcolm Reed from Enterprise. So I've been, I've not only sung at Star Trek conventions, I've sung with the actors from Star Trek. The Enterprise actors. You've just, you've, you've, you've uh, my mind is now full. <laughs> questions and things like that. And I want to, I want to earmark two things. One is um, music and Star Trek and Diane Warren. But before we get to those, Mm -hmm. got to follow up on this. Tell me about your dislike of Rod Stewart. Don't like his voice. Just, just nothing resonates with me when I hear him sing. I mean, you know what? Like the song, If You Think I'm Sexy, I think if I heard it 
from somebody else, I might like it. His voice just does not resonate with me. And there's Survivor, um, you know, Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. Okay. They have a song. I, I, I actually am a Survivor fan, and I have a lot of their stuff. And they actually have a song called It's the Singer, Not the Song. When you listen to the music, it's the singer, not the song. And I really believe that. Nine times out of 10, I am all about the original version because that's the first version you hear. That's the version you usually connect with. But there are very few instances where my heart will take me, one of them, uh, My Maria, another one, which was a hit in the 70s for B.W. Stevenson and then remade in the 90s by Brooks and Dunn. The first time I heard it, I heard Brooks and Dunn. And I liked their version, not realizing it was a remake. And then when I finally did hear the B.W. Stevenson version, it's good. I like it. But I actually like the Brooks and Dunn version a little better. Because of their voices. Because of their voices. Because I'm, I'm huge on harmony. Mm. Um, another song that breaks that mold for me, Hazy Shade of Winter. Oh. Originally by Simon and Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. For the movie Less Than Zero was the Bangles, And their four-part harmony kicks it into a different level than Simon and Garfunkel. Their harmony and the production energy and all of mm-hmm. that, it's actually kind of crazy you mentioned that because a few episodes ago, I did an entire podcast. I called it the Covers versus Originals Challenge. And I based it on, because the other, I do different versions of this podcast. And one of them is I take a uh, released from my collection and I discuss it and use it as a jumping off point and the release I used for that covers versus originals challenge was the 12 inch single hazy shade of winter mm-hmm. and I, I mean, they're, they're close I like them both but the bangles edge it out but on the flip side of that there is a songwriter named John Stewart but he spells it H and not like the daily show guy he wrote daydream believer and I will, if he's the one that owns the rights, I will never forgive him for this. He gave it to Ann Murray. I grew up a Monkees fan. I love the Monkees, Daydream Believer. Obviously, I was in love with Davy Jones, and Daydream Believer was one of my favorite songs. Then in the 80s, I think it was actually 1980, Ann Murray came out with her version of Daydream Believer. It was terrible. First of all, it's one of those songs that it's very hard to flip male to female because it talks about shaving. So it's kind of hard to, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of hard to flip it. <laughs> there you go. Um, and I just, that is what led me down the I don't like Anne Mary Road. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and I picked up, I remember for some reason, Kmart by our house, one place we used to walk as kids because we were back in the day when it was safe to walk anywhere. Um, I walked up to Kmart and I remember things you remember. And I picked up one of her cassette, her greatest hits cassettes. I think I wanted to see if she was considering Daydream Believer her greatest hit because it did chart for her. So I looked in the back and I read down the list. Half at least of that greatest hits album were other people's hits. I'm like, you can cover one or two, but why are you putting them all on your greatest hits album? Well, I find I always find that interesting because you have those artists who uh, build their career on signature songs, you know, where that's right. there. Someone else may have done it, but they made it their own. Like, yeah, exactly. Does that and things like that. But then you have those artists who I call stylists, 
who just take other people's songs and do it in their own style. And it's like you said, if you're a fan of that style and that, and that uh, voice, then that's great. You're probably going to love every cover that they do. But if you're not, and in, you know, let's say in the case of Ann Murray, respect her, awesome career, not right. a fan, I, I, I would find like her version of a song that I enjoy maybe doesn't have the right energy or it's blander in some way mm-hmm. and not take away from her skill. It's just, it, like you said, it doesn't resonate. Well, and if you really want to talk about how people feel about songwriters versus people that sing the songs, there, Seth MacFarlane had something to say about that. There's a Family Guy episode with Anne Murray where Stewie falls in love with Anne Murray, gets Brian to fall in love with Anne Murray, and then they go on this quest to find Anne Murray, and they find her. And that's all I'm going to say, but if you like the Family Guy or you want to see what Seth MacFarlane has to say about this, I would just like look up... Look up Anne Murray, Family Guy, however you have to do, because I don't know the season or the episode, but um, I I enjoyed it. If that lets you know how I agree with Seth, and it's hysterical, and I highly recommend it. Well, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, but since we're talking about covers, um, and okay, so this is my Be Kind mug, which Nick said I ah I always do that with the camera. Be Kind is the tagline. Let me, let me see if I can get there. You go. There you go. Of Pop Culture Hero Coalition. It is the first 501c3 anti-bullying uh, nonprofit. Oh. It is amazing. Um, I highly recommend supporting them. They are at Superhero IRL all over the internet. But Chase Masterson, who played Lita in the later seasons of DS9, founded it. She is one of the nicest, sweetest, most incredible people that I know. And one of the things I love about her and something that I've always found kind of, I miss. When I was a kid growing up, my, and I would sit down and watch stuff with my parents, old movies on TV, the actors, the, the triple threats, the actors who could sing and dance. Yeah. I always loved those movies. Yeah. Um, and Chase Masterson is one of those multi-talented people. And she is an incredible singer. And she did this cover. I didn't. I found this out in 2016 when I went to a Star Trek convention. And during her panel, she sang "Pure Imagination" from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh yeah. And I, she gave me chills because of the way she sang that song. Because she understood the heart of that song in the same way that Gene Wilder performed it. That 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 whimsical way of thinking and feeling and she captured that so does josh groban there are actually three versions of that song that i like josh groban the original gene wilder and uh chases so chase is just this she's an incredible person she's got this charity but she's also an amazing singer and i have her cd called jazz cocktail and pure imaginations it's all i think there might be one original song but they're mostly jazzed up covers of a lot of different songs and she is, she's an incredibly challenged, um, incredibly talented, talented person. And um, more trivia for you. They wouldn't let Sammy Davis play the candy store owner in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He was going to sing Candyman. And it was a racist, a racial thing. And they didn't let him play. They didn't let him play the guy. And then this this guy, this no-name actor dude who was in this, what, like two or three scenes in the movie, sang the Candyman song. 
And Sammy Davis went, well, I'll show them. And he did the song and he had a number one hit. Yeah, okay. I, I, my brain could not uh, access the movie version of that, but I can hear Sammy Davis's version right now. In the, in my yeah, head. exactly. But uh, yeah, the, and I completely forgot that that was part of the movie, but then I watched, um, they released it in theaters a couple years ago. And I'm like, I have to go. I love Willy Wonka. So I went and I watched it in the theater. And um, and the guy starts saying, I'm like, oh, that's right. This song was for this movie originally. But That's crazy. I, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up the, the charity. I hope people support it. Um, and yes, drink from that mug. Uh, for those of you watching on the video. Want one of these fabulous mugs? Yes. Go to BeKindMerch.org. BeKindMerch.org. My friend Raymond designs all this stuff. So please go. They also have masks. Oh. Excellent. Uh, and that you mentioned Chase and that she's, you know, she's an actor and a singer, multi-talented. I, I, again, I did a podcast a few weeks ago where I talked about talents of famous people that you don't realize, you know, like oh yeah, Tony Bennett, who sadly we find out he's, he's got Alzheimer's now. He has been a painter for decades. Oh my God. I didn't know he had Alzheimer's. I missed that. It's sad. I've read the great That's article on it. Um, but yes, yeah, so, you know, and uh, the the jumping off point I used for that podcast was I I own the entire debut album of Sean Cassidy. And oh, I saw that somewhere on Facebook, I think. Yes, and I talked about how you may have may have if you know him, you may have known him as a singer, you may have known him as a part of the Hardy Boys or the brother of David Cassidy or whatever, but that he then became a, a, a television producer and writer and and director and created some hit shows and, and and to this day is still in television behind the scenes it's, it's you know it's and i think you being involved in that star trek community you've been able to discover yes hidden talents we talked we talked to sarah lofton and how he's into music yeah Sirac, yeah yeah Sirac's amazing and he's into music and he's designing merchandise for um god i'm gonna get this abyssinian something crap sorry Sorak. i can't remember the rest of the uh, rest of the website oh but but Sorak's designing um has a has a has a merchandise store that he's running with his sister online and it's abyssinian something and i can't i'm kicking myself for not being able to remember it um but you know it's funny that you mentioned sean cassie because i've seen his name pop up in the credits like producer credits writer credit and i'm like is that the to do run run sean cassidy and obviously yeah, and that's him yeah i have the 45 i do not have i don't i don't have the album i have the 45 of the do run run i think that song was what prompted me to buy the album and um true confession i uh, it, it came with a poster and that poster was on my closet door so <gasps> You didn't give it to your little friend around. I would have loved a Sean Cassidy poster. I don't know where it is anymore. <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to talk to my mother about that. Um, but getting back to Star Trek and music, I, you know, there's a couple of things that you brought up. Uh, first of all, Diane Warren, if you, if, any, if you people don't know her, look her up. She is a veteran songwriter who, who I, I just uh, listened to an interview with her. Oh, wow. And it turns out that the first, she's been almost 40 years in the business, and the first song that she got successfully produced that became a big hit that she wrote was Rhythm of the Night. The Barge? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And then of course- Ooh. Sorry, go ahead, finish, because I can- Yeah, no, say what you were gonna say. So you're, no, you're fine. 
they use that in Moulin Rouge, which is one of my favorite movies outside of science fiction. And again, that's finding out that Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor were incredibly multi-talented. It is, and I love their voices. I especially love Ewan McGregor's voice. And um, we actually, uh, a cousin of mine who's really into music, who I, who got me into music, you know, certain kinds of music when I was a kid, when we were doing our Facebook Live shows last year, she requested that we do uh, Elton John's Your Song, mm-hmm. but the movie Moulin Rouge version. Because she yeah, you know what's funny? I sing the, the Ewan McGregor version better the Ewan McGregor version is written better for my voice. I tried singing your song once with your dad and it was the Elton John version and it just didn't, it didn't, yeah, it didn't click, but, but the care, there's a karaoke version of the movie version and it's that, that I can do. So. And and so back to karaoke. So you, you know, you've sung this Diane Warren song, which Mm -hmm. is to enterprise and because Mm -hmm. you, because that's your favorite show and because it's the only theme that has, Words. Yeah, mm-hmm. it makes sense that you would choose that to sing, right? And, and uh, you know, but it but it points out something that I have found to be true since before I can even remember, which is how important music is to other forms of media, whether that's film or television or dance or certain mm-hmm. types of art installations, even, and um, in particular in sci-fi. Uh, you know, the, I, I I bet you anybody out there, if you think of one, whether it's Star Wars or Star Trek or some favorite show of yours, you probably can hum some part of a theme from a sci-fi movie. And nine times out of ten, you can thank John Williams for that. But um, <laughs> the Imperial March from Star Wars is one of my favorite, um, my favorite movie. But um, bring it back to Enterprise, that song is actually so highly contested because there are people that love it there are people that hate it there are people like star trek shows don't have themes they have um oh they they have instrumentals right so a lot of people hate that song based specifically on the fact that it has words some people hate it because they don't think it, it fits with with the show it's like listen to the words it's talking about having faith and getting into space. This was the whole show was about having faith and going out into the galaxy for the first time because the ship in Enterprise was the first one that had warp five capabilities that actually allowed humans to explore out past their own galaxy. So the song, in my mind, the song fits. And what happened was, like I said, I I have always been a Trekkie, but I started my journey that brought me to this completely immersive point. Back in 2016, when I went to this care, uh, went to uh, the 50th anniversary convention that happened to be down the street from me in in New Jersey, and I met Connor Trenier and Dominic Keating, and I sang karaoke with them then, and it was "We Can Work It Out" by the Beatles, and we had so much fun. Uh, Nicole DeBoer from Deep Space Nine sang there, sang with us. It was just incredibly, amazingly fun, um, and it kind of, that's kind of what renewed my Star Trekiness. And I came home and Netflix had all of Star Trek. So I started binge watching Enterprise. And the first time I heard that song again for the first time in God knows how long I went, not only do I love it just to love it, but it felt like where I was in my life. Mm-hmm. So that's what really got me obsessed with, with learning it. But what was funny, but then as I learned it and then I started getting more involved in the Star Trek community, 
um, I find out that that's, it's just people hate that song just because just because it exists as the theme to a Star Trek show, people hate it. And so when I went to when I went to Las Vegas for the first time in 2017, um, Connor and Dominic were hosting a karaoke show, and I was trying to talk Connor into singing with me, and he kept saying no, no, no. I was picking duets, and he's like, forget it. So finally, I said to him, "What about the theme?" And Connor said, I'm not singing that with you. And I said, no, you don't have to sing the theme with me. I've been practicing. I'm like, you don't have to sing the theme with me. I said, but should I do it? And he's like, yeah, why not? I'm like, because people freaking hate it. But he's like, no, 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 you'll be fine. Do it. And every time that I've sung that with him, like he doesn't sing it with me, but he will defend my right to sing it. <laughs> so like, she's doing the theme. The first time I did it in 2017, um, I got up on stage. It was so funny. I got up on stage and Connor's like, she's singing, you know, where my heart will take me. And Dominic's like, is that the theme to our show? Connor's like, yeah, she's going to do the theme. And I asked Dominic if he wanted to sing it with me. He's like, no, I'm like, fine. I'm going to do it by myself. By the time I hit the course, he was singing with me. Ah, hey. So he lied. Um, but yeah, but he's right. I, I, that's the only reason I didn't want to sing it was because there are people out there that just don't want to hear it. Well, and I get I get that in in the sense that everybody's got their favorite, and everybody kind of has their idea of what a theme should be. And right. it was interesting to me at the time, in particular, because uh, if we are all you know, anybody who's old enough to remember, almost every single television uh, show from let's say the you know late '60s, mid '60s, in through the mid '80s or late '80s had a theme song with lyrics exactly and even through the 90s with like the friends theme song and yep like or the end credits of um fraser where kelsey Garner's yep. own theme you know and then that kind of slowly got phased out it either became instrumental like right er was instrumental whatever er but, was good yeah. yeah or it became um what's that uh what show was that was it Dawson's Creek that had that song I don't want to wait you know oh yeah 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 that was just a cut yeah Sarah Sarah what's her name yeah it became its theme but it wasn't written to be the theme so that right right meanwhile meanwhile the friends theme became a huge hit right 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 um when Enterprise comes out that was at a time where shows were not doing that so right yeah 2001 right yeah like that that people would have been like, why are there lyrics in a theme song? That's not supposed to be the way it is. And yeah, that's the only one that's that's happened with Star Trek. But whether you like it or not, I thought it was kind of a cool thing that they did that. Yeah. Because it, it, it differentiated that series from the other series. And I mean, seriously, watch the theme. The entire theme is different. Every other show leading up to it was just spacey stuff. It was just... It was literally just shots of the galaxy or in Deep Space Nine's case, shots of the galaxy in the space station. Um, the theme to Enterprise was way more visually uh, thought out um, because it shows the history of ships named Enterprise. And it, it goes through like the HMS Enterprise and then it, you know, it shows the space shuttle Enterprise. And then I love the fact that they end Enterprise's theme with the shot from the movie First Contact, which is the first warp ship when Zephram Cochran invented warp drive for anybody out there that knows what I'm talking about. Um, but it's literally that clip from the movie because the movie Star Trek First Contact is to me the prequel to Enterprise. So that makes sense. Yeah, I can I can see why that would be the case. 
Oh, it totally is. It's it's totally the prequel. Um, in fact, in fact, James Cromwell was in the first episode. James Cromwell reprised his role from the movie in the first episode of Enterprise. Oh, I forgot about that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like um, sci-fi? Let's say we'll stick with Star Trek because if anybody who knows Star Trek can probably hum the original, you know, right theme, or maybe the Next Generation theme, or something like that. I but think. I think the summary and I and I enjoy kind of the morphing that they did. Yeah. Do you think that the that a show like that, just let's just say any of those series, any Star Trek series, would be the same without the music? I don't think anything's the same without the music. I think the music adds a layer. There's, I have. eight discs worth of enterprise music there are believe it or not there are actually eight cds worth of music for four see that show only ran four seasons and there's and when you listen because the music adds the mood and i don't think and i just think you know the 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 suspense of is the warp drive going to blow the suspense there's this one there's my favorite my favorite scene in all of star trek it has yet to be topped in all of Star Trek is when Trip Tucker has to climb a rope between two ships traveling at warp speed that are like this. And the, I just, my, my iPod decided to play that music to, for me the other day. And it's like, yes, the suspense of watching Trip try. And then, and then the tether's starting to break and Malcolm's like, hurry up because he's looking at the stars, you know, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same if that music wasn't there to, to set the mood. So I just think, I just think music is essential for anything. I think that layer is essential. Um, but I also want to say, I don't think anybody would really know what a theremin is without the theme of Star Trek, the original Star Trek. That's brilliant. And I love, I lo- because I would, that just leads exactly to the next thing I was going to say, which is yes. And I'll, I'll get to it the, that I think music is essential for pretty much any visual, any element, television film. Mm-hmm. I have, very strong opinions about when too much music is too much and you know right. when it gets in the way and everything. But I think that if you can capture the character of a show with a song, let's say a theme song, and then capture, like you said, the mood of, of a scene with that underlying music, then you're connecting to certain emotional components in a, in a human that um, are being enhanced by the music that might not be com- fully conveyed with just the scene itself. Right. Um, I can even talk. Okay. So here's what you said. Like sometimes they take it too far or whatever. Um, the flying scene, the fl- actually it's called the flying sequence in Superman in the original Superman movie. When he, when he stops by Lois's and they're interviewing and she asked him how fast he could fly. And he said, let's find out mm-hmm. that, that music is so beautiful. I can still hear it. And you can hear it. I don't think it needed that stupid voiceover of her literally reciting the lines from Can You Read My Mind? I think they should have just left the music. Um, but when you listen to it, you can get it where it, she's not talking. If you have the soundtrack, there's a, there's a piece where she's not talking. And it's because so, you're, you're listening and it's like, oh, but then you actually hear in the music that point where she slipped and started falling. The music completely changed. And you don't need, you don't need her screaming. You don't need anything. You just hear the, and you know that that's when she slipped and he went diving after her. Oh, wow. See, that's a perfect example of when it's a little too much, right? Yeah. And, and I found 
Um, I, I think that in sci-fi, in most cases, there's a lot more leeway into what you can do with music than in, than in traditional films. And it's, and to me, my, my take on that is because, um, Hey, it's very action oriented and there are things you can do to punch up that action. If it's done mm -hmm. well, you can create, you know, even uh, to me, like the greatest composers on the top, they're conveying the action with the music. And then underneath that, there might be some underlying emotion of like fear or apprehension with a certain character that they're focusing on. And that's the, that kind of multi-layered thing. But even beyond that, the, like the theremin is a perfect example. Uh, most television shows tend to stick with what works. Most everything, right. whatever's popular, whatever they know has been done before, they're going to do because it fits. It's, it's been proven that it works. Mm -hmm. Sci-fi, in many cases, producers have the opportunity to branch out a little, to experiment a little, to throw in things that hadn't maybe ever been used before or have been used sparingly or in another media, not, not at all television or film. And, you know, the, the weirdness, and there are a couple versions of the original Star Trek, you know, theme with voices and the theremin yep. and stuff uh, is a perfect example of how um, sci-fi music can often be more experimental than a traditional film music. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, what more recognizable notes in science fiction are there than from Close Encounters? Oh. Do 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 do. I mean, somebody says that, and everybody knows exactly what you're referring to. That and that the fact that the aliens themselves you needed to use music as a form of communication with the humans. Yeah. You no, know, is it just shows. You know, and, and I mean, that's Spielberg, of course, but we can even go to somebody like Scorsese, who every single film he does, he's such a music fan and he's done music movies mm -hmm. that, that like, it's such it's such an important component. And and he, you know, whether it's original scores, I don't know as well of his song, but music, but um, of his movies, but the songs he chooses are always so perfect for everything he does. As, um, OK, so here's some, here's another link. Rob Sherman who you know as somebody that wrote a play that you did a few years ago. Uh, yeah. And I know him because he wrote this amazing episode of Doctor Who called Dalek, which was in Christopher Eccleston's season in 2005. Mm -hmm. And it was about um, the doctor pops in in Utah, in this bunker in Utah sometime in the very near future. Um, and there's this bazillionaire that collects artifacts from all over the galaxy, but he's an asshole about it. Um, but he had, but um, they capture, they, they find the doctor and Rose and they take him to the guy and the doctors talk to the guy. And, and, you know, obviously the doctor knows more about alien artifacts than this human does. And he picks something up off of his desk and he starts playing with it. And the doctor's like, no, 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 give it to me. And he takes it and he puts it in the palm of his hand. And he's like, it's a musical instrument. And he just, and it was, it just responded to like the lightest of touches and he's holding it in his hand and he played it. And it's like, again, music is, literally universal because he's playing this alien musical instrument for this guy this guy's thinking it's a weapon he wants to know how it works what is it it's a musical instrument there's uh, there's actually been books written about how um not every element of music but certain very core elements of music are could really be called possibly the only universal language mm -hmm. you know and, and yeah different cultures might consider different types of music 
two whole different emotions than we do. But underneath that, there's a certain type of communication that music does. Right. And, you know, written and spoken language. There's an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation, which is incredibly popular, which I don't like um, only because I, I'm not a huge Jean-Luc Picard fan, not the way some people, you know, like that whole Kirk Picard thing. I'll take Captain Kirk any day of the week. Archer is my favorite, but I will take Captain Kirk any day of the week. But there's this, this amazing episode of TNG called The Inner Light that a lot of people like. And it literally focuses around music because these aliens do something with Picard. They like basically kidnap his consciousness and make him think that he's living another life. And in this other life, he plays the flute. And so this whole episode, throughout this whole episode, it's Picard playing the flute. So I remember that episode so well, and I, uh, it is one of my favorites. And, sorry. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I remember the flute. I, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and I think any, to me, look, I don't need everything to have a component of music. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. interested because I constantly think in terms of music uh, and have that certain connection to it. To me, anything that that is able to incorporate music in that way, it just takes it to another level. Well, you know, for me, my life isn't about music per se, but I am one of those people, I can't sit in a room if there's nothing. I don't do dead silence. And if I can't watch TV because whatever it is that I'm doing, um, I have to have music. When When I was back in school, a couple years ago, whenever I had to just sit and read a chapter or, or just read, um, I had my I had my Amazon playing. I had a I had um I found I couldn't listen to music with words and concentrate on what I was reading. So I put together a Spotify playlist of Star Trek, Star Wars, Doc, Doctor Who has some really great music too. Um, Doctor Who um, and some other, you know, Xena, I think, was in there because Joe DeLuke is a really good composer, too. I liked, I liked what he did with the Xena and Hercules. So I put all of that together. So I had this complete instrumental playlist that I would just sit and, and study to because I can't read. I can't stand it when it's dead quiet. I need something. Um, so I loved I loved that. I had I had used stuff. I still have it, like, if I need some background music, my Enterprise playlist. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. The, you know, uh, I, I like that you say that music is not kind of your central thing, but one of the reasons why I thought that interviewing you for my, you know, music centric podcast was because I, uh, to me, music is not just about the people who create it. It's about the people who absorb it as well. Right. And I've talked about this in other podcasts where there are people for whom they they don't care what's on musically. They don't really choose music. If something's on, it's there. That's fine. Right. I I don't know how to relate to them on that level. Me either. Yeah. And you are someone I you know have known for a while, but I've known you know music for you is a passion. It is you know, the things that you listen to and the way that you were you were once you were once involved in the music industry as, as, you know, representing an, a country artist, you know, like yep. these connections to music, whether it's through that or sci-fi or the karaoke that, and, or your love of the monkeys, which I've, you know, mm-hmm. known about for a very long time that kind of are really a part of who you are. 
Yeah. Um, and remember back in high school, I used to play the bagpipes. It's the only instrument I ever actually learned was the bagpipes. Wow. I did not remember that. Oh, uh, marching band. We had one of only, at the time, we were one of only three marching bands in the country that had a bagpipe unit because we were the Highland Tartans. Yep. And I learned how to play the bagpipes. Um, so I do know how to play the bagpipes. I can pick things out on a piano because I kind of, like I could do like goofy stuff. Like I could do like the theme to MASH because it's ridiculously easy. Suicide is Painless is ridiculously easy. Um, but my grandparents had an organ and whenever we went up to visit them, um, I used to get bored. I used to go in. It's a little, it was just a little more like an electric keyboard. It wasn't like a big grand thing. It was just like a little electric keyboard. But the neat thing about this was it had a little strip above the keys and it told you what note you were playing, but it also had numbers because the sheet music they had was number coded. So you didn't have to know this is an A minor, this is an F sharp. All you had to do was go, okay, 12, 13, 11, which is my country tis of these 12, 12, 13, 11. Could not freaking tell you the notes, but I can tell you the numbers and I can sit at a piano and pick it out. Because that's what I used to do. I used to go in my pe- and I just learned to play my numbers. I, I, you know, I used to teach music, and I found that some of the kids could learn how to read the notes very easily, and other ones never quite really learned. And part of it was they, they played by ear, and it worked mm-hmm. out. But you know, there there are a lot of different ways to you know write down you know music and what the notes are, and right. you can read music is not that important. Well, you know, it's funny, and you, one of the classes I was taking when I went back to school was a Beatles class. Um, believe it or not, I, it's funny because I needed an art requirement uh, to get my degree. And I thought, you know what, I'll take an art class. Like, let, let's, let's expand my horizons. And I got a C on my first paper. I'm thinking, I don't get Cs. This, this doesn't. And the teacher gave me some critiques, but she critiqued that paper after I handed in my second paper. Because she was slow. This had nothing to do with, it's like, it's like, okay, I thought I did a pretty good job. So let me do the second paper and hand it in. And then she, I'm like, you know what? I can't deal with a teacher that can't do this. And I can't, I didn't want to affect my GPA with some stupid random course. So I dropped it. Come to find out that music will also, is an art requirement. Music fits. We had a Beatles class. I'm like, why am I trying to take art? Why don't I just take a Beatles class? But then of course, my dad, I've been listening to Beatles since before I was born thanks to my father. And basically I was told if I didn't get an A in this class, I would be disowned. Um, so unfortunately, but it started with like music, like actually like learning notes and music and music theory. And I just wasn't wrapping my head around it. I was able to get through the first little bit. My dad even helped me. He, for a while, he was a music major at Penn state and he was trying to help me. He goes, this is why I quit. He's <laughs> like, this is why I changed majors. He can still, he played the tuba in the marching band, but to actually be a music major was a little more intense. So he's like, this is why I quit. I'm like, I I can understand that. So, but I was doing pretty well after I got past like the mechanics of it. And it just started talking about the music of the Beatles and understanding where they were coming from and their theories and and, and their, their evolution, all of that. But then I got to having to write my last paper and it was comparing three songs. And I knew that, to get a decent grade on that paper, I was going to have to start with the music theory stuff again. I went to you 
And I was like, I need you to help me analyze three Beatles songs. I even, I even asked my teacher, I said, listen, I've got a friend. He happens to be a Beatles cover band, by the way. Um, if I ask him for some advice and I get some of his input on what I should say, and I cite him, is that okay? And I got permission to ask you, cause I'm like, I can analyze the music. I can analyze as far as listening, I can analyze the lyrics and tempo. But when it came down to other specifics, I needed, I needed your help. <laughs> well, and I liked how you, uh, one of the songs you mentioned how it had like a bluegrass component and all that. So you... oh, that would have been Rocky Raccoon. Yeah. Rocky Raccoon was very country. Yeah. It was almost a country parody. Like Paul was just like, ah, let me try this country thing. That's so big over on the other side. Storytelling. Right. But about a raccoon. Yeah. But yeah, that was also, that's also still on all of my Beatles songs. Rocky Raccoon is my favorite. And Beatles is kind of where we converge the most in terms of our tastes in music, which is all. Yeah, yeah, because your dad, your dad, I remember we used to sit out, remember in the summers, we used to go play, we used to go hang out at your house. This is back in the day when kids actually went outside and rode their bikes and did all that outdoory stuff. I remember we we were either getting yelled at to move away from your house because your dad was sleeping because he worked at night, or we could sit and listen to him practice upstairs so that those are some of my fondest memories yeah i just remember your mom going your dad your father's sleeping go to the other side of the street oh all the time yeah and he still sleeps late you know and even though he's not working as much anymore um but i can i can picture that piano room in my head with the window open and you know yeah and the stand-up piano on the opposite side of the room yep yep see our houses were exactly the same the difference is, is that I had my own room and my sister had her own room and my sister's room and your dad's office were the same oh, yeah. room on the floor plan. So, right. that makes so sense. yeah, so I can see that in my head because it was my sister's room. So the windows on one side and your dad's piano was on the exact opposite side of the room. Well, you see how, how far back our music history goes. People you understand this. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about all this. Not that we don't talk other times, but you know, this is special. And it is special. Made it even more special. Thank you uh, for, for being here um, and for talking with me about everything. Thank you for having me. Uh, don't forget, everyone, um, she's a podcaster too, and her show is NX7062. Look it up. Please go over to her YouTube channel and subscribe and and all of that good stuff. And like I said, uh, I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to have any link that that's, that Stephanie wants to share right here along with this interview. Uh, and again, my thanks to Stephanie and my thanks to all of you for listening. If you're on a podcast streaming service or watching, if you're on YouTube or elsewhere or being a Patreon patron, thank you so very much. Uh, clicking and subscribing and sharing and uh, donating uh, your blood. I don't know what else you can do. <laughs> Uh, but thank you for all of that. And thank you for being here with me and with us, because as always, my objectives are music, conversation, and connection. And uh, I will see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.